0: You are listening live to In Much Less Detail, the podcast, where we cut through the noise and give you your NFL breakdown in much less detail. Here with you live on a Saturday night, December the 10th, 2016. I'm Dre. He's Jay. Chill is in the air all around the country, and football weather has completely besieged us pretty much everywhere except California and Florida. It cold. I said it to the last show, and I'm going to say it again because it's true. It cold. Everybody bundled up and ready for their football tomorrow. Week 14 got underway Thursday night with a big-time battle between the Raiders and the Chiefs. Battle for first place in the AFC West. Chiefs take it at home by eight, covering the number for me. Uh, Jason, that was a very entertaining game, as we figured it would be. Uh, What can you say about the Chiefs? They just keep finding ways to get victories in, in all sorts of unconventional ways. And Tyreek Hill becoming a sort of a breakout star before our eyes. Uh, what did you make out of that game?
1: I, I actually found myself a little more disappointed in the Raiders than I was impressed by the Chiefs. And, and one of the and and one of the ways I realized that was watching the way that the game was spun the next day in the media. And the you know, the common thread is all, you know, the Chiefs, this they're so solid and they're so well coached and you know they they don't they don't turn the ball over and I was like well, well, wait a minute the Chiefs had three turnovers in their own territory in this game and 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 yet somehow found a way to, to win I mean they, they they played a sloppy game but something just didn't look right with Oakland and you know with Derek Carr I think he was seventeen for forty one and that that passing game had absolutely no rhythm. They, and it may have been the cold. It may have been the weather that they were just not prepared for because they had guys just dropping balls all over the place. Um, easy balls that you saw. I don't know why Derek Harstep kept trying to throw the ball to Seth Roberts because that guy <laughs> couldn't catch a cold. He was doing nothing. And then where I really found lacking was Oakland kept getting the ball late and just wasn't able to, to break through. Um, at the end. And then there, that third and fourth down call for them at the end of the game at the goal line, basically, you know, it was third and goal, fourth and goal right there at the end. Basically, it was a fade to the right and then a fade to the left. And it's just that was just such uninspired play calling and execution by Oakland. I, I really found myself not so much impressed by Kansas City as I did unimpressed with Oakland's effort in that game.
0: I was saying to myself as watching that sequence at the end of the game where Marcus Peters is knocking the one end zone toss away and Terrence Mitchell knocks the other one away. The balls are just floating out there from Derek Carr. And yeah. Yeah, I don't know if it was a weather or not. I don't know if it's the finger, uh, but it would make kind of, it would kind of make sense if the weather exacerbated the finger injury that he played through with adrenaline against uh, the Buffalo Bills when he first injured it. Uh, now coming out here in this, whether, wherever, whatever degrees it was, 20 degrees or somewhere in that vicinity. Uh, I can imagine that finger started barking at him and aching. And uh, I can imagine it wasn't easy for him to throw, uh, but I'm with you. You can't let your star quarterback go out like that when he's clearly not throwing anywhere near 100%. He was floating everything. He didn't have any zip on, on any of his passes that I could see. Uh, yes, it didn't help that his receivers are dropping balls as well, but uh, there were a lot of balls that were just floating out there getting knocked away by the Chiefs defenders. Uh, you're just making it too easy for them when you get it out there with, with no juice on it. You're just allowing them to rally back and, and defend the pass and knock it away. Uh, they, they made it easier on the Chiefs than it had to be. And yeah, the fact that the Chiefs won that game despite having three turnovers to Oakland's zero, a minus three on the uh, on the plus minus is usually good for a loss. But there's something about those Chiefs, man. I tell you, this is why I became a fan of them after a while, because you can't fight it, man. It's just like you can't you can't keep fighting it if they clearly seem to have some sort of acumen in winning games in, in unconventional ways. I might want to spit at it all I want and and say that it's voodoo magic and BS, but eventually I just got to call it like it is. The the Chiefs and Andy Reid, they know what the hell they're doing. I don't know how they do it, but they just keep doing
1: it. Yeah, I mean, they're they're winning games. We can't take that away from them. I mean, I was more on board with this for a while than you've been, uh, appreciating the sort of Novocaine style of play that they have. Um, Yeah, they they got to 21. If you would have told me before the game that that game was going to get, the winner was going to get to 21, I I wouldn't have actually had it be the Chiefs. Um, So Oakland's offense, yeah, Oakland's offense really, really sputtered there. Um, Very similar to the game we saw, you know, Atlanta with the high-flying offense, and they went to Philly and and got held to about the same points. Just like, wow, it was like that blip in the radar. So I'm more interested to see how the Raiders bounce back with 10 days of rest now.
0: I know you uh, found a stat that said that the uh, number of sort of chunk plays given up is pretty similar for the season between the Chiefs and the Raiders, but I I saw it again. I saw the Raiders uh, doing their mannequin challenge and letting guys run right past them and giving up those big chunk plays, whether it was Tyreek Hill or Travis Kelsey down the seam with Uh, you know, nobody defending him. Uh, He made a couple of catches where people were defending him, where he just went up and got the ball. So I don't want to make it seem like the Raiders didn't try at all. Uh, There were some plays the Chiefs had to make. But my point is, I I just still, that's why, the main reason why I don't like the Raiders overall uh, as a long-term, big-time playoff prospect for for this postseason. They give up, to my eye, way too many of those big-ass plays. It's just like... there's an there's an acumen there of giving it up that they seem to really have and I, I just don't like it I mean I understand that Chiefs might give up about the same amount but I just I, I kept I keep seeing this out of the Raiders every week no matter how how well the offense plays the defense gets on the field and looks good Almost as lost as like the Saints the last few years. You, you know how the Saints have those games where they look around at each other after a play, going, "I, I thought you had them. No, you had. I, I didn't have them. You didn't know." That's what the, the Raiders strike me as. And until they get that cleaned up, I don't think they're going to go very far.
1: Yeah, and the, and the issue um, was we had the defenses not looking. You know, I we basically I pointed out the fact that both of those defenses, both of those defenses were were not very good. Oakland had something going when they went to the no huddle and they were mixing them a little more and Latavius Murray was getting stronger as that game was going on. And, you know, it was like they, they kept kind of shying back from that, almost like afraid um, to turn into this ground game team because they had, well, we got Derek Carr, we got all these receivers. We might as well throw them out there. And you know, Latavius Murray actually had a very good game. And when they were mixing him in, not letting the Chiefs make the defensive substitutions. And you started to see that loosen up and move a little bit. Uh, but where I think Oakland lost that game was when they came out in the second half right at the beginning and got the turnover again in Kansas City territory.
0: And you could not capitalize. You
1: could not capitalize. And that was perfect, right? Because, you know, Kansas City got the ball to start the second half immediately was an interception, basically. I mean, that that barely had started the second half. It was, boom, pick. Oakland's got all the momentum, and they couldn't capitalize. They had a, a – earlier in the game, they had a a dropped uh, field goal attempt, or that might have even been right there. But, yeah, just a – that,
0: that was the next drive after yeah. the uh, interception yeah. was Smith got stripped clean by Khalil Mack, and the bad snap yeah. on the field goal attempt fucked up that opportunity. So, yeah, they had their chances.
1: Yeah. So, Oakland had opportunities, yeah, when you're plus three in the turnover differential and, and you still can only somehow manage 13 points. They, again, plus three in the other team's territory, and you can only manage 13 points for the game. It clearly is not your night.
0: Yeah, they uh, stopping the run was problematic for the Chiefs after Derrick Johnson got hurt. So that's another reason why you don't have your star quarterback embarrass himself by floating all these passes out there because you're actually moving the ball on the ground. Why don't you stick to that? So that's one of those coaching things. I told you Jack Del Rio is going to give back some of these wins that he stole earlier in the year. And there's a game that he gave back in my opinion.
1: Right. I I, I don't necessarily know if this was, if this is, if, if this game is played again in January and Derek Carr is fully healed and playing, I don't know if this game goes the same way.
0: I don't either, but on, on this night, the Chiefs were the, the better team, as it turned out, despite the uh, the minus three. Uh, well, they, they I'm feeling more. they scored more points than the Raiders, yes. <laughs> so I'm feeling good about that pig, getting one up to start the week. I'm feeling good because I'm sitting here uh, on Facebook, and I see my uh, second-oldest cousin, Thomas, tonight uh, goes on Facebook Live, and this is about three hours ago he's not a, a facebook live type of person he's he's rather reserved and straight laced so i figured this has got to be something kind of big and for i think probably the first time ever one of my facebook friends goes on facebook live and I actually watch uh normally i ignore those uh but i actually watch so he and his girlfriend were having a housewarming he just uh got a, a new apartment recently uh and he's talking about uh all his friends that are there and he's talking about all the pictures on his wall. He's loves to have pictures of everybody and he breaks out this frame that's empty. And he says, he's always had this frame that he always envisioned him and his future wife, having a picture in that frame, but it's empty right now. So that's one frame he's waiting to fill. And almost instantly he spins, drops to a knee, breaks out a ring and, and proposes to his girlfriend. So I was thrilled to see that the little kid that I was, playing, uh, he called it batting ball when I was throwing a, a little uh, beach ball at him and he had a plastic wiffle bat and he was hitting that around in the backyard. He didn't call it baseball, he called it batting ball. Can we go play batting ball? So that little boy is, is all grown up in medical school and studying to be a doctor and got his own apartment and now just got engaged. So Thomas couldn't be more proud of you. My hero uh, used to be a, a husky guy like me and he actually Got some discipline somewhere along the way and, and lost a lot of that weight so he's looking good he's feeling good he's newly engaged and i'm, I'm very happy for him so i'm feeling great tonight well that's
1: good and it's, it's good that you got that game up on me because i've come to this i've made peace with this season that you're sort of on fire so i i've, I've realized that there are only two possible outcomes to this season now one is you go Wire to wire on the kind of payback for what I did to you a few years ago when we first started the show, and I wire wired to you, same almost the same way, you know, kicked kicked each other's ass the first week of the season, kind of clawed back a couple of times, but overall this it was over from week one, and that's the way this this year almost kind of feels. Or you'll have one of your patented collapses. That's the only other way this can end. Oh,
0: you're hoping for that miracle. Well, nope. I'm studying and nope. Nope. doing my best to try to prevent that.
1: That's right. So we, we, both both outcomes are equally likely at this point. I mean, <laughs> uh, every once in a while, I get that playoff voodoo magic and and, and 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 clutch victory from the jaws of defeat. So I'm hoping this is one of those years. Otherwise you are having one hell of a run and you know and and, and you earned it so far.
0: Well, I certainly hope to keep it up. Full slate now for Week 14 uh, from this yeah. point on. No, no more buys. So, big schedule to get to. 15 more games for us to pick. I will first let all of you know that you're listening live on BlogTalkRadio.com/slash in much less detail to listen after this show is over on a podcast version, which has this live show and an after show. You can subscribe on iTunes. Just search for in "Much Less Detail" the podcast. Subscribe on any podcast app that may have us. Just type in In Much Less Detail, see if we're on there. Uh, We are definitely on TuneIn, Mixcloud, Player.fm, and Blubbery, um, as well as iTunes. Or you can come back to the live show page, scroll down to the bottom, and all our shows that we've ever done are listed right there. Uh, Communicate with the show via email. Send that to InMuchLessDetail at gmail.com. Communicate with me on Twitter at IMLD Dre. Communicate with Jason on Twitter at IMLDJTG. And keep up with our picks on the blog. Picks for this week will be up about an hour or so after the live show is over. And the blog site is inmuchlessdetail.blogspot.com. Fifteen games left. We're only going to do three highlight games because there's so many other games to get to. Although a lot of those games involve teams that we don't want to really talk much about. So we'll probably not spend too much time on, uh, say, the Jets and the Niners, for instance. Uh, We will start for our highlight games in Green Bay up there where Jason is living near the frozen tundra of Lambeau Field up there in central Wisconsin, where the Seattle Seahawks and the Green Bay Packers will do battle Seattle at eight, three and one. And Green Bay at six and six. Really hard to argue anything other than Seattle is the better team going into this matchup, and therefore they are the road favorites. No surprise there. Seattle gives three points. Seattle minus three at Green Bay. Jason, who you got?
1: Yeah, I mean that's I don't think you're gonna be surprised when I say I'm gonna take Seattle. I know there's weather involved in this game, and and you know, and we, we saw that the Packers had that huge advantage last week against Houston coming in. But this isn't Houston coming to town. This is Seattle, uh, maybe the best or second best team in the NFC. If you believe in, if you believe fully in the in the depth of the run that's possible for the Cowboys, um, having not been there before, I think everybody does trust the fact that Seattle can sort of turn it on late, and that's what they've been doing this year. They had that blip in Tampa, and then came right back and just absolutely annihilated. Whoever they, play. Some, whoever they played last week, they just whooped them. I mean, it didn't even matter who they were going to play. You just knew it was going to be a beatdown, and and that's what you got. And, you know, the thing that we usually talk about with, you know, bad weather is you need to be able to, to move the ball on the ground. I don't trust Green Bay with this, that, that James Starks Ty Montgomery banged up, gimpy. Aaron Rodgers, even in snow. This is going to be another weather game, uh, possibly a worse weather game than what they had against Houston. But I do trust Seattle more on the ground, even though it hasn't been there all year. Um, you know, Thomas Rawls looked good. He's not. He's not hurt. He should be there. Um, he's looked better. You know, he had a good game. I don't – and sales defense, even minus Earl Thomas, which I don't know if this is a huge deal in, a, in this kind of slower environment, this slower-paced game that we're going to have with the snow. And that Seattle offense not a real high-flying offense, and Russell Wilson seems to have his legs back and his mobility back. I see Seattle in a in a, in a low-scoring game, kind of again, kind of like a repeat of what we saw last week against Houston for Green Bay in the snow, but I do trust Seattle more here to go on the road and, and, and get this win and, 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 and put up a cover.
0: That was Derek Newton and the Panthers that the Seahawks whooped last week at the tie game. Yeah. I can't I can't well, forget about tie.
1: Yeah. It, it already was out of my <laughs> mind that who Seattle beat because all you needed to know was that they got right.
0: Uh, this should be a great game. I, I either way, I, I don't feel hugely confident about the pick, but the game itself should be a really good one. These two teams have history, lots of it. Uh, on the field, we know about the Packers going to Seattle and, and somehow finding a way to lose that playoff game a couple of years ago, just yep. almost a miraculous loss, like they had it sewn up so easily and had an on-site an onside kick recovery away from locking it down and could not get that ball. And Seattle goes on to tie it, go into overtime and win it. And Russell Wilson was all in tears talking about how God made it happen because apparently God is a Seahawks fan. And my favorite part about that whole deal is that the Packers come back in week two of last season at home, knock off the Seahawks by 10, and Aaron Rodgers was wondering what where, where where was God in that game? What happened? I, I thought God was on the Seahawks side. I thought Russ Wilson said that God was always for the Seahawks. So I always liked that a little tweaking. You know, you're gonna pull out your God when you win. You gotta, you know, equally pull him out when you lose, right? Hell with you, God. What's wrong with you? Come on, go to hell. Um, on the field. And and that's a little off the field, but on the field, Pro Football Focus pointed out that Richard Sherman has only been targeted in the last three games against the Packers that the Seahawks have played. They've targeted Richard Sherman three times. They know better. They know where to go on the field against the Seahawks, and it's anywhere but Richard Sherman's side. That said, that and combined with how Aaron Rodgers looks the last couple of weeks. To me, I think Aaron Rodgers is back. I, I, I call it like I see it. He had been so inconsistent, maddeningly, maddeningly inconsistent, uh, throws that just didn't look like they were supposed to be where they were supposed to be. Uh, the last couple of games, he has looked sharp. Like he looks extra sharp, extra motivated. All the controversy with his coach Mike McCarthy uh, in, the, in the middle of the season, where he seemed like he was sort of criticizing the coaching and passive aggressive and the coach sniping back at him saying I'm a highly successful coach, whatever that's supposed to mean. Um, So I I think they got all that water under the bridge. I talked about how green Bay should have success the last couple of weeks because they were playing against offenses that the defense could finally kind of breathe and not get so stressed out because they weren't going to get embarrassed. Well, the Seahawks bring an offense that can embarrass, but also can't. The the Seahawks take games off. They're, They're not as consistent as they need to be. And for proof of that, you just need to go back to the fact that the offense put up all of three points a few weeks ago against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And that kind of plays into the Seahawks not being nearly as good on the road as they are at home. And that's historical. That's not anything new. Uh, But all three losses that the Seahawks have this year and that one tie were all on the road. They are not as good on the road as they are at home. That's not breaking news, but it is what it is. So in the elements, in the frozen tundra with the snow, without Earl Thomas on that back end knocking fools out, I think that will be a big loss for them. They don't have to sweat that. A-Rod looks back. Aaron Rodgers looks like he's back. I think also the Green Bay defense can pressure Russell Wilson trying to slide around in that stuff, trying to run in the snow and, and the ice and what I think the conditions are going to be. Uh, I think Julius Peppers and Clay Matthews maybe can, can get after him a little bit. Um, I'm going to take the Packers. Um, I'm, I'm surprised that I'm going to take in. I don't think it's going to be a blowout either way, but I just like Green Bay in that element uh, with all those elements with the, with the weather. Um, We've been kind of talking about the Packers' run game, too, and how jacked up that's been. I think it's been kind of obvious most of the year that regardless of the fact that he's got heat of heat on his back, the best running back the Packers have right now is Ty Montgomery. And it seems like if you read the comments of the coaches to have that they're sort of getting closer and closer to acknowledging that and realizing that James Starks is is no good shakes. Kristen Michael, the big... (laughs) free agent pickup or you know, after he got cut by the Seahawks, he's not really making an impact. I think they might be getting closer to sort of making Montgomery like the man and just trusting him with the role and, and seeing what he can do. And that's probably a good thing for them. That's uh, probably the direction that they need to move. Uh, so I am feeling the Packers this week, and I'm going to go with them to upset the Seahawks. All
1: right. All right. Right off the bat, we disagree. So that's good. I need to make some ground up here.
0: Let's see what we got in store in primetime. Sunday night football, the Cowboys and the Giants, both the primetime games featuring double-digit win teams going against teams with winning records. So they're going to be, on paper, pretty good, rather even, matchups. Um, and, and the point spreads reflect that uh, Dallas and the Giants in a rematch of week one, uh, the only loss, of course, that the Cowboys have suffered all year. Was at home to the Giants in Week One by a score of twenty to nineteen. So the Cowboys out for revenge. Of course, we've been hearing that in the in the build up all week. The Cowboys are out to avenge their one and only loss. They are the road favorites. The eleven and one Cowboys are three and a half point favorites at the eight and four New York Giants with Eli Manning and Odell Beckham Jr. Well, will the Cowboys be able to? avenged at loss. I don't think so. I'm taking the Giants and the reasons why. I don't think the Cowboys are physically equipped to handle what might be a big game from Odell Beckham Jr. This is sort of a feel thing that I just feel like he's ready to have one of those breakout games has been a while. It's been a few weeks since he's had a really good game. He was thrown off his game last week on the road in, in a pressure situation as I've kind of figured he would be in Pittsburgh And now he's back home where he's had uh, most of his really big breakout performances have been at home. A little more relaxed environment against the Cowboys team. I just don't think, like I said, physically just manpower on the field. Morris Claiborne still not able to post. Uh, the, The defense is just beat up a little bit for the Cowboys. I just physically, I don't think they're going to be able to handle a breakout game from Odell Beckham. If his mind is right and if he's ready to to have that breakout game mentally and physically, then I don't think they're going to be able to stop. him uh, Unless they get in his grill, unless they get in his head uh, and, and get him teed off and make him lose his, his cool, um, I think he might have a big one tomorrow night. The Giants were the first team to see up close what Zeke Elliott and, and Black Jesus' Dak Prescott are capable of. And so they're not going to be intimidated. They've seen it already. They're the one team that, that saw it first and were able to handle it. Obviously they weren't up to speed the way they are now. They clearly were not giving Dak Prescott as much in the playbook as the, in week one, as they have since then. And Zeke Elliott may have taken a game or two to get up to NFL speed. And once he has, he hasn't really uh, slowed down that much. Although I think he has slowed down a hair the last few weeks, that might be just enough. So if he goes for a buck 20 tomorrow, that's would not be a surprise at all, but that's not the 150, 160, 170 that it felt like that he was threatening to go in, in each and every game uh, earlier in the season. So there might be a little rookie wall thing happening there with uh, Ezekiel Elliott and the Cowboys. But yeah, that environment Sunday night, it's going to be a, a great matchup. Uh, and the I'm Gi- worried, though, the Giants losing Jason Pierre-Paul uh, might be a really big deal. That pass rush uh, had been having some issues getting to the quarterback, even with Jason Pierre-Paul. They had just started to really get some sacks. But uh, famously, the first quarter of the year or so, they were getting a lot of pressures and a lot of hurries. They just weren't getting to the quarterback at all. Um, and, and then they finally started getting home a little bit. But now without Jason Pierre-Paul, they might struggle to get home again. So that does worry me, but Dak Prescott, eh, he's shown some flashes of of really being good under pressure, but he's not all that consistent. He's still a rookie. Uh, There's there's still some mistakes that he can make out there. Um, And I think Landon Collins and and the Giants defense will be ready to, knock the Cowboys around a little bit if he makes those errand throws and makes some mistakes. I'm going to take the Giants on Sunday night to give the Cowboys their second loss of the year as well as their first.
1: Well we get some more intrigue right off the bat because I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree with you here. I am completely staying with the real or fake analysis. I still think that the Giants, even though right now would be the fifth seed in the playoffs in the NFC and the highest wildcard team, I think that I honestly feel like they actually won't make it. I feel like they won't be there. I I completely think of them in the terms of faith. I'm not putting any faith or any stock in what we saw out of them in week one uh, because we're talking about Dak Prescott making his first NFL start and Ezekiel Elliott getting his first real, you know, live game, regular season action, and Dallas – still came idiotic boneheaded play from Terrence Williams away from being set up for a potential game-winning field goal. And that right now is the only loss of the season for Dallas. We've seen them win shootouts. I mean, we saw them go to Pittsburgh and and win that way. And, you know, they they can win. We've seen them all go Green Bay and run them out of their own building when Green Bay had the number one rush defense in the league. We are so happy to point that out. Before they took that on the road and went in there, I don't see any problems here for the Cowboys on the road because they at least have that running attack. And you know, we talk about all those big plays. I mean, I would think the number what we said was 55 big running plays, 55 running plays of 10 yards or more for the Dallas Cowboys this year. I mean, that is a lot of Ezekiel Elliott untouched into the secondary. That will take care of a lot of problems for your team especially against a team you know a little bit wounded on defense a little bit of a patchwork defense and if Odell Beckham isn't getting off if they get in his head early I mean this this could get ugly quick and I I, I just don't feel comfortable making a pick putting all my hopes on a basket case right now I and Odell Beckham all the drama I mean he's got all the talent in the world even in New York, you got to think that that act is wearing thin, and you see in Eli Manning how you know average of an NFL quarterback Eli Manning is because if he doesn't have Beckham to go to, they don't move the football. And so Eli is not elevating anybody else in that offense, and nobody else is elevating him. So if it's Odell or bust, and I just yeah, I'm not at that point against him right now, best team in the NFC. I'm not at that point where I'm going to make that pick against a team that I can completely consider to be fake.
0: Yeah, I don't blame you. Um, I I still, I'm kind of with you. I still believe in the stop Odell and stop the giants completely. Uh, I'm going with it because I think they're not going to stop Odell Beckham, but I'm I'm with you. If they do stop him, if they do find a way to get in his head, then they they should be able to overcome the giants. It should be a, a hell of a game.
1: Yeah, we got some good ones. Yeah. Uh, have a good day for me
0: to be off tomorrow. Yeah. Good day for those who love football. There's no doubt about that. And Monday night should be a good one. Baltimore Ravens and the New England Patriots. The Ravens do not seem to be in the class of the Patriots on the surface. But as we know historically, the Ravens give the Patriots fits. The Ravens get in Tom Brady's grill, and, and they give them fits. There's no questioning that. So for this one, uh, this spread might be a little big. We'll see how you figure uh, feel about this. The 7-5 and five Ravens, the team that you liked so much that you had them in last place before the season began, uh, are 6.5-point underdogs at the 10-2 New England Patriots. Jason,
1: what's your pick? I'm worried about this game. Not even from a football standpoint, just like a line standpoint, because New England, no Gronk, no Amendola. Now um, they, they've they've traded away their two best defensive players <laughs> over the span of the last <laughs> season. In you know Chandler Jones and uh, uh, Jamie uh, Jamie Collins, these guys are all all gone now. They, they're not coming back. And I think we've seen the Patriots kind of sputter along a little bit here. I mean, they've, they've beaten some cream puffs, but they've they've struggled to be dominating. And 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 Baltimore comes in as possibly one of the most boring good teams in football, and that's hard to say when the Chiefs are in the league. I actually find the Ravens to be one of those really hard to figure out teams. There they are. You know, there's there's seven and five. You can't take those seven wins away. They're not flashy at all. We were talking about the, the big play potential of teams in our last show and looking down those stats. Baltimore does not create big plays. They don't run the ball for big, big chunks and they generally don't throw the ball for big chunks. But on the other side of that, They don't give them up either, so so Baltimore is being. They're sort of that like tortoise in the hare. They're the tortoise. They're just slow and steady, and the six and a half is really a worrying number because all New England has to do is win by a touchdown, which they're very capable and very likely to do. But you know, we had this discussion about New England in the last show where I thought that they were starting to show some chinks in the armor and you were a little less eager to, to, to sign up for that this is a much bigger test for them than what they've faced from the rams and the jets and the 49ers each one of those teams by the way hung around in every game so with the maybe the patriots were playing down to the level of their competition that they let baltimore hang around baltimore will jump up and 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 sneak one in here so i'm going to take the number Um, even though I think
0: New England's going to win the game. Ooh, getting a little cute there. Uh, Yeah, they are capable of beating pretty much anyone by a touchdown and making it seem like they slipped on a banana peel. That's kind of how they do things up there in New England. So it wouldn't be – you wouldn't be surprised if they won. You pretty much just said it uh, if they won by seven. Uh, But you will take the Ravens and the points. No, I remember exactly what you said on the the last show, that you said – you wanted to see new england have a tough opponent you didn't believe that they had yeah. been tested uh recently uh well here it is here's a tough opponent uh, the baltimore ravens whatever you think of them boring uh play by the numbers wh- whatever you want to call it um maybe i need to go find that sound effect i what i forget what cartoon character that was that kind of loped along and and sang that little song is it do 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 Doop, 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 So, yeah, that is that, that does fit the Ravens' uh, offense. That, that's their theme song. Uh, there's no doubt about it. However, last week, what did they do? Four touchdowns. Joe Flacco just went crazy. I'm not sure what that was all about. Nobody expected it. Um, and, but there it was. Um, so I'm very much afraid of this game for the Patriots that the Ravens can get to Tom Brady throughout the years and knock him around. And as we know, that's really the only way to beat the the Patriots is to knock Tom Brady around. Uh, however, I have to go to the numbers on this one to justify taking new England and giving a six and a half, <clears throat> giving a six and a half. The Ravens only have 66 hurries on the season. And for perspective, Miami is leading the league in hurries with 103, so the Ravens are not getting to the quarterback the way they normally do. There's They got the guys in Terrell Suggs and Elvis Dumerville that have the, the pedigree and have done it throughout their careers, but they're long in the tooth and having trouble staying on the field, and the guys in their place behind them aren't picking up the slack in that respect. So uh, the Ravens aren't quite what they usually are on that side of the ball. And so I'm going to take the Patriots, to, And and again, they're not – probably not going to look very impressive winning this one either because the Ravens are no pushovers or no slouches, and so I expect a hard-fought game, but uh, and you mentioned Amendola being out and, and Gronk, and uh, of course Martell has been and has been beat up all year and has been not very effective, and what happens? What does Brady do? Makes new players and stars out of guys you never heard of, so we already know what's going to happen. Chris Hogan and Malcolm Mitchell and Whoever else he wants to pull out the, the the little flea running backs out of the backfield and let Gary Blunt to hammer it home at the end when they get to the goal line. The Patriots are who they have been. They are who we thought they were, and I still, I guess, believe that they're the prohibitive favorites in the uh, in the whole league, even with the the Cowboys having a better record. I still think the Patriots are the cream of the crop, and I think this spot on Monday night against an opponent that usually gives them fits. I think this is exactly the kind of game that they'll kind of rally up and put their focus on this game and really do what they need to do to win this game and and try to send a message that, Hey, we're not, you know, we're we're not slumping. We're not, you you said, maybe they're playing to their competition. I think they're going to play up to their competition for this one. I think they're going to be ready. And I think they're going to win by a touchdown, maybe even more. Now, one
1: thing we know about Baltimore, no matter how much we make fun of the Ravens with their that-so Ravens tendencies, the Ravens are not afraid of the Patriots. We know that.
0: No, they're not afraid of Tom Brady. They've seen what he's capable of, and and they know what they got to do to try to to to, to shut him down. I just don't know if they have the horses to do it right now.
1: Well, we can, we're we're set, we're already we're already setting ourselves up for an interesting week.
0: Yeah, <laughs> three for three and, and going head to head already before we even get to the rest of week 14 in, in much less detail. And, that, and counting Thursday night, uh, that's four for four. So uh, we've certainly never had a, sh- a week where we're against each other in every single game. But through one quarter of the slate already, we're, we're off and running. So let's see what, what else we got waiting for us here. Uh, we'll start with the Minnesota Vikings and the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh this is the bet of the week. Uh, I can't make it a m- my lie because we don't do over-unders, but this is the bet of the week. Under. Under. Please, for the love of God, whatever you do with your money tomorrow, get the under on the Minnesota Vikings and the Jacksonville Jaguars as quick as you can before they lower that number down to 20 in Vegas because that's about where it should be. Ah, uh, the Vikings are six and six, and they are three-point road favorites at the Wobegon. I keep calling them Wobegon. Two and ten, Jacksonville Jaguars.
1: Yeah, this is the perfect spot for the Vikings to get one of those Viking-style wins. That they're playing a team that loves to give the football away uh, and give up the booty. So. If you're going to get right, you're going to do it against a team like Jacksonville, even though Minnesota has statistically the least explosive offense in the league by far. Uh, The statistic that I saw is that Minnesota is is getting a a big pop on less than 5% of their offensive snaps. That is the definition of going nowhere quickly. So Minnesota's offense isn't going to win this game, but we've seen them win games other ways. And this feels like against a team that's just straight up bad, the kind of team that Minnesota can pick off, especially now that Minnesota starting to feel a little desperate um, for the playoffs. And they're on the outside looking in right now after that five and zero start. And, uh, they need this win. I think they're going to play like a team that needs a win. So I'm going to take Minnesota here.
0: That stat about the lack of uh, explosive plays. Boy, that sounds like a team whose offensive coordinator should be just ashamed of himself, but needs to maybe just walk away from the team and quit in the middle of the season. I, I think that OC needs to just get up. Oh, Oh, Oh wait, he already did. That that—that yeah, that, that happened
1: um, already. Oh, huh. Well,
0: I don't know what they do. Um, However, I 100% concur for the exact same reason. This is the game to get right. This is the, I've given too. I've given the Jaguars way too many chances the last few weeks to turn it around. I've given them the benefit of the doubt. I'm through giving Jacksonville the benefit of the doubt. They have not earned it. That team is is awful. They have no explosion on their offense either. The few guys that were making plays for them, like shoelace, uh, Robinson, and and Chris Ivory. Uh, They're hurt. Shoelaces won't play at all. Alan Hurds won't play. Chris Ivory's a game-time decision. He may not play. They may be back to T.J. Yeldon, at running back, and I don't think they want to go back to T.J. Yeldon as their lead back because he's been terrible this year. Uh, So I will take Minnesota in a very, very, very low-scoring game. Long the under. Long it. As much as you can, I'm telling you. The Cincinnati Bengals and the Cleveland Browns in the Battle of Ohio Part 2 – which went to Cincinnati way back in week seven as they beat Cleveland thirty one to seventeen, but they had this guy AJ Green at the time who's kinda good and he won't be there tomorrow. Nonetheless, the Bengals are still the favorite. Four seven and one Cincinnati, minus five and a half at Owen twelve Cleveland.
1: Yeah, we get the return of Derek Rose, I mean RG three.
0: My knees hurting just thinking about it. He's
1: he, yeah, what's the over-under for how long he makes it through this game? I mean, does he finish this game? that That's what I want to know. Will I RC think it's
0: six, and a, six, and, six and a half snaps. snaps?
1: <laughs> Before something snaps? Yes. Okay. Or on the first play of the game, he actually has six and a half things snap.
0: That might happen, too.
1: But... Cleveland's running out of chances here. You know, this 0-16 is starting to stare them squarely in the face. Cincinnati, and they've won last week. They're playing for absolutely nothing. The coach is going to get fired. The quarterback might go along with them. I think think the fans in that team, I think they're just done with this team as it is presently made up. So the only thing this team is playing for right now is pride. And and Cleveland is just out there desperate for a win. I'm going to actually take the desperate team versus the team that's just mailing it in the rest of the way. I'm going to take Cleveland to punch their ticket and get their one, and then fade away.
0: Yeah, we talked about this uh, a couple weeks ago when we were looking at the, the Browns' schedule. What's their best chance to get yeah. that one win? If we can't, I mean, it's so hard to say another team. Is gonna go 0-16 after the Lions did it. We didn't think the Lions could possibly do it, and they actually yeah. shocked us and did it. So to say another team's gonna come along and do it, ah boy, that's hard to say. So we're looking and trying to see what's their best chance for a win. Here it is. it's it's Cincinnati. They're they're playing for nothing. They're four seven and one. Their best player is 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 out of the game, is out for the rest of the year. Um uh, I don't know if they've said he's out for the rest of the year, but I get this feeling he's not going to, if he comes back, it'll be for like the last game just as a token appearance or something. Uh, This is the chance. This is it. I should have queued up my Kenny Loggins. This is it. This is the chance for the Browns to make that move and, and get that win and five and a half point underdogs coming off their bye, whatever they got offensively they got it together during their buy. They're gonna unleash if they have anything to unleash. They're going to unleash it tomorrow. They're gonna to try like hell. They're gonna bring hell. The hell's coming with me. They're gonna do all of that, and they're still five and a half point underdogs. Boy, that sounds like something that that sounds a little like that. I, I, I gotta lock that shit up. This is I, how can they be almost a touchdown underdog to an AJ Greenless Bengals team? In their most desperate moment, this this has got to be it for them. This has got to be their best chance. So, I will take Cleveland to win as well, and gladly take the five and a half points and make it my lock of the week. Although my lock doesn't matter anymore, you're going to win the fucking locks of the week, so it doesn't even matter what I do as far as that goes. Yeah,
1: yeah. I think I only need to win one more, two. If you lose one more, yeah,
0: the, over. So, right. I believe your magic number is one. Uh, the Steelers and the Bills, Pittsburgh at seven and five, Buffalo at six and six, should be uh, an interesting game. Uh, Steelers are three point road favorites at the Bills.
1: Yeah, and the Bills are just boy, well, the Bills are one again that destined to be eight and eight. They're going to split <laughs> these four remaining games, and you just have to figure out <laughs> which of their two victories left on the schedule. Pittsburgh strangely is is better i believe overall even though i'm not huge fans of them they they have some interesting ways to lose games but i i think overall even though these teams statistically are not as far apart as we might think because buffalo has that run game but where Pittsburgh is weak is on the back end, and I don't know if Buffalo is going to be able to exploit that. I know Sammy Watkins is back. I don't think Tyrod Taylor is going to be able to take advantage of the horrible secondary of the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers. So I'm going to take the Steelers here um, needing to keep pace for that division win.
0: Yeah, we know what Buffalo's going to do. They're going to run. They're not going to throw. They would do that anyway in regular conditions, but there's going to be snow apparently in that forecast. So it's going to be one of those games up there in Buffalo. Uh, in a very close pick for, for this one, what I, what it came down to for me was this old memory of LaShawn McCoy in the snow. He had a game when he was with the Eagles where the, the field was covered with snow. And I believe they were playing the Detroit Lions. And McCoy was making these cuts and just hitting it out in the open field. And the Lions had nothing. They could not keep up with him. I'd never seen I don't know if I've ever seen anyone run in snow as great as LaShawn McCoy did in that game. He's older, not maybe not the same exact player, but he's been pretty damn good this year. So just based on that memory alone, I'm going to take the Bills and take the three points. I haven't taken Buffalo very much this year at all, so you know if I'm doing it, it's, it's got to hurt me a little bit because I still think Rex Ryan is a buffoon. Uh, but I will take the Bills in this one and hope that McCoy goes off for a huge day. It's like a buck-fitty. Yeah. Uh, well, we,
1: we, we, com- yeah, we completely marveled at the Cowboys in those 55 rushing plays of 10 yards or more. What we failed to mention was that the Bills are tied with them.
0: How about it? So. And I was, There's some I was reading on the, I was reading on Pro Football Focus again that uh, as great as McCoy has been uh, yards per carry, his backup Mike Gillisley, has actually been better. So that's a one-two combination you got to watch for there. They're getting it done on the ground in a couple of different ways. Uh, NFC East battle: the Redskins and the Eagles. Washington six-five and one, Philly five and seven. This is. A rematch from Week Six, where the Skins at home beat the Eagles twenty-seven to twenty. Uh, Philly has been falling back badly, so no surprise that Washington here is a two-point road favorite at Philadelphia.
1: Yeah, I'll buy that. I'll take Washington here on the road. I'm not. I, I think the Eagles are at that done stage. Uh, I think Carson Wentz has played up to his rookie wall, and I think that the Redskins need this to stay in the relevancy for the playoffs. And that they're they're still the second-best team in that division, even though they're two games behind uh, New York. So I will take the Redskins here to get a uh, much-needed win.
0: Aging Ryan Kerrigan. Somebody wake up, Ryan Kerrigan. The Eagles, once again, are going to come in. Uh, Kerrigan just destroyed uh, Mr. time I'm not even going to try to pronounce that first name again um, in, in that game in week six uh he's not even gonna be there so this that was the replacement for lane johnson now his replacement is going to be in there whoever he is uh so kerrigan might get to to go eat again um Ryan Matthews should return for the Eagles to get a little run game going. It's a little too too little too little late. I, I think the Eagles slide continues, even though they're 4-1 at home this year. So that worries me. I'm still going to go with uh, with the Redskins along with you. I'm also worried about Jordan Reed's shoulder. It's pretty bad, but it sounds like he's going to try to play anyway. So he might be making some one-handed catches out there, depending on how, how you can lift that arm. But that might be enough. The, the Eagles are certainly backsliding, and that might be enough for for the Redskins to get a, a victory in Philly. In the NFC North, it's the Bears and the Lions, the three and nine Chicago Bears and the eight and four Detroit Lions, which should be a mismatch just based on record. And indeed, the Bears are seven point underdogs at the Lions. And that is, I believe, yes, it is the biggest line of the week.
1: Yeah, but this is another snow potential uh, game here. It's going to be cold. It's going to be ugly. Um this isn't Colin Kaepernick, though, coming to town to throw five yards in the entire game. This is Matthew Stafford who's playing at a very quiet elite level this year. So, Matt Barkley, nice win, nice try, but I'm going to take the Lions here and I'm give them all.
0: The uh, Lions are very glad that they built a, a new dome stadium to replace the Silver Dome so they don't have to worry about those elements. But uh, – I, I don't know about the Bears uh, and, and their 0-6 road record. There's still something going on. that it, They they pull out these efforts every now and then. And, and even uh, in week four. Is
1: this game in Detroit? Is this game in Detroit? This is in
0: Detroit. That's right.
1: Oh, my God. Now I feel like an idiot. Now I feel like an idiot.
0: <laughs> That's all right. Uh, week four in Chicago. Uh, where the bears actually beat the lions 17 to 14. That was actually Jordan Howard's first start. Uh, this this great streak that he's been on and he went for a buck 11 uh, against the lions. So there's something uh, there's something there there's some effort still being given by the bears for some reason. So I'm actually going to take them and take the points that the lions have have competed in every game this year, but they haven't blown too many people out. I know they did it to to the New Orleans Saints, but I don't know. I, I'm, I'm going to take the Bears and, and take the points. I, for some reason, I think they're going to keep it close. I don't know why, but I'm going to trust the Bears this one week anyway. Uh, another division matchup. It's the battle for the top of the AFC South. Is, is that a battle? The, is there such thing as a battle for the top of the AFC South? I don't know. Uh, but the Texans and the Colts will get it on in Indianapolis in a dome. Uh, and they're both 6-6, six and six, so you would think, evenly mashed, but the public really is starting to hate Brock Osweiler and the Texans. Houston, a six and a half point underdog at Aaron uh, Andrew Luck. Not Aaron Luck, Andrew Luck yeah. and the Colts.
1: Going back to my, going back to those big play statistics, Houston on offense on their passing oh. game, all season 12 big plays out of their <laughs> passing game. Give me the Colts Squish. Andrew Luck is starting to look like Andrew Luck again.
0: Andrew did on Monday night against the Jets. There, there's no doubt about that. Uh, yeah, Houston 5.8 yards per throw this year. That's the lowest in the league. It's DFL. Uh, they do not get big plays. Guess what might happen in the Dome against the Indianapolis Colts in their 28th-ranked passing defense? They might get some big plays. I, I would not be the least bit surprised to see Brock Osweiler hook up with uh, – new copkins a couple of different times and maybe even will fuller as well i'm actually going to take the points uh, and that's a lot of points the texans are not very good but the colts aren't all that either and i'm the one that loves the colts and and still think they're going to break through and win the division but that's a lot of points i think i think houston's going to lose this game by like a field goal but in a high scoring game i think it's going to be back and forth houston also has the running game on their side lamar miller should go for like a buck 40 because that's what he does uh, and the Colts don't stop the run well either, and they stop it even worse or should stop it even worse now that Dequell Jackson has been popped for for performance-enhancing drugs and, and has been suspended, and he's one of their best tackles. We remember from his days with the Cleveland Browns back when we played individual uh, defense on on fantasy games. You always wanted Dequell Jackson because if there's nothing else he could do, he can tackle a running back after he gets about six or seven yards. He knows how to bring down the running backs. Uh, he knows how to rack up those solo tackles. So now that he's not there, I don't know who's going to stop the run for the Colts. So Houston should actually have probably one of their bigger days on offense. And so I'll take them and, and take those points. The Broncos and the Titans, here's the other team coming off their bye, the Tennessee Titans at six and six and have been looking more and more impressive as the weeks went on. Now they go on by now they come back and now they're rested and fresh and the public likes them over the Broncos. Denver is a one-and-a-half-point underdog at Tennessee.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm going to take the Titans here. I, I like what they were doing before the bye. I think that offense is starting to roll. Mariota's looking good. Uh, they're getting running out of DeMarco Murray, and their defense is adequate, especially against whether it's a banged-up Trevor Simeon or Paxton Lynch. They're not getting a lot of that offense right now with way too many uh, talented players at the skill position. I'm taking the Titans, and it's my lock of the week.
0: Ooh. Lock up the Titans. Uh, yeah, it should be a very compelling game because the Titans have indeed impressed the last several weeks before they went on their bye. Uh and and I think they're gonna come back and bury the Broncos on the ground because they've got those tools to do that. They're arrested, and and DeMarco Murray and Derrick Henry should come out and, and play some Smash mouth football. Marcus Mariota will have his chance to back him up with, with his improved play in the air. That's where I think they're going to, they're gonna get got. I'm gonna take the Broncos because I think Marcus Mariota is gonna make the big mistake somewhere during this game. Because he's playing the best passing defense in football, and the Broncos aren't going to be made fools like some of these other teams that have come in, uh, like the Packers. I remember the Packers game and then Mariota just embarrassing them and reverse plays and throwbacks and everything else. This ain't the defense to try to do that stuff against. so it, it might not go very well when they try to go to the air. So I'm actually going to take the Broncos to be the, uh, to play like the champs on the defensive end and and come away with a victory. So that's really going to be uh, interesting without me going against your lock of the week there. Uh, Arizona and Miami, Arizona, very impressive last week, Miami, not so much Arizona five, six, and one are two point road favorites down in South beach at the seven and five dolphins.
1: Yeah, I think that's a reaction to last week's game. Um, I actually, I'm going to take Miami here to get right back at home. Um, and again, Arizona, yeah, it, it's nice that they're they're saving their best for last, but they're all they're they're slated to go home at the end. So I'm going to take Miami to get back on their horse here.
0: Nah, I got to go with the Cardinals. Tan Ryan Tannehill versus the Arizona DBs. I don't think that's going to go well. I think Miami continues their backslide. I just I gotta remember the Arizona pedigree, how good they were coming in to the start of the season. Everyone picked them to make a playoffs as a wild card. And I gotta remember what Miami is capable of when they try to rely on on Ryan Tannehill. And, and that's not good. Uh Carolina and San Diego, Chargers at five and seven, one point underdogs at the four and eight Panthers.
1: Yeah, San Diego, talk about backsliding. San Diego's in the, mm. of the backslide. And, you know, and I actually, I'm going to take the Panthers here, uh, even maybe as a reaction to the way they got embarrassed last week. This might be their best effort of the year coming off of that throttling they took up in Seattle. I'm going to take the Panthers um, easy over San Diego.
0: Yeah, I'm thinking about. The Panthers had after Earl Thomas's injury, Cam up top to to Ted Ginn. They have no reason not to keep doing that. Cam has no reason not to go off and and give that tie-gate taste out of his mouth. I'm with you. I got the Panthers to to beat up the the Chargers here. Niners and Jets, we pick them all. Uh, Jets, three-point road underdogs, cop-out line at the 49ers. Uh. Niners. Moving on. New Orleans and Tampa Bay. New Orleans at five and seven. One and a half point underdogs at the seven and five. Tampa Bay Bucks.
1: Yeah, hey, hey, Tampa Bay, they're showing us a little bit, right? Why not do it again? New Orleans is a little bit reeling. I like Tampa Bay here at home.
0: All about that Tampa Bay defense. If they play like they have been, then I, I would agree with you. I don't trust them to play like that again. Drew Brees probably a little mad coming off of having his touchdown streak busted last week. I got the, the the Saints to actually rally up and go into Tampa and get a victory. And our last game, Los Angeles is four and eight, and still starting that poor kid Jared Goff. And the Rams are five and a half point home underdogs taking on the seven and five Atlanta Falcons.
1: The, the Rams do nothing well I'll take the Falcons
0: I concur <laughs>
1: more on our after show when we come back
0: and now into our VIP after show program Woo. We always run up against it with that full slate when we come back off of those buys. It kind of catches us by surprise. So we got them all in, as we always do. We did.
1: Yeah. So any any of those games that we uh, gave the, the short strip key, you actually had something to talk about?
0: Let's see. Do I give a fuck at all about the Jets' Niners? No. Um, just that it's, it's Bryce Petty versus Colin Kaepernick. That might be the worst quarterback matchup of the year. Um, yeah.
1: I'll agree with you there.
0: Uh, uh, for uh, Atlanta, I against...
1: guess... Kaepernick is so... Dumb. How do you even start him after what that... What After what that was last week? One for five for five yards? Excuse me, five yards? I mean...
0: I don't know. When you look over and see Blaine Gabbert as the alternative, I, I guess that's why you keep throwing him out there at this point. What
1: difference would it make, right? Uh, I, I, I guess. If there's no third quarterback on that roster that you want to get a look-see at at all? Uh, come on.
0: Oh, if you're Chip Kelly, you don't give a rat's ass about developing anybody because you're out of there anyway does, as soon as the season's over.
1: Yeah. He, he's going somewhere. To He's going back to college. Everybody knows
0: it. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, That Falcons-Rams game is probably not much to talk about, but I just wanted to point out that Julio Jones is hurt, as you probably have kept up on during the week. He's got a a toe. Uh, Muhammad Sanu is out. He's not going to play at all. So just watch Matty Ice use every player on the field. He's going to complete passes to like 11 different guys, and they're going to spread that thing all around. And I saw a report on Roto World that Atlanta – beat reporter orlando ledbetter says that julio jones is so beat up that he's going to be a decoy at best in this game so you have a media member actually calling his shot and saying watch them use julio jones as a decoy and we know you know from being a falcons fan and i know from observing them that they they will use julio jones as a decoy Easily, they've done it before many times when he's been less than 100%. They have no qualms putting him out there for 40 or 50 snaps and and targeting him like one or two times for the whole game just to make sure that the coverage has to keep up with him and and look his way and and make sure that he's being covered and and being attended to. They have no qualms doing that. So, I don't know, I, I have no. Doubt that Ledbetter is, is on to it when he says that it's going to be a decoy situation because they've done it before. Uh, and and I don't know if you feel uh, the same way, but I think this is just going to be a a great game all around for Matty Ice, just throwing it to anybody and everybody, you name it, Taylor Gabriel, uh, Levine Toy Lolo, just guys you never heard of. Of course, the running backs out of the backfield. This is going to be another one of those masterpiece uh, games in in matty ice and and uh mr shanahan the the offensive coordinator that i've made so much fun of kyle shanahan um putting together a game plan and spreading that thing all around to everybody
1: yeah and just as if we didn't need more proof the day after we made fun of jeff fisher once again on our last show he must have threatened somebody with the pictures he got a contract extension
0: Wait, he signed before the season? I I read that. I I couldn't. My mouth dropped. Like all this time, apparently he already had his deal signed and just refused to clear that up with anybody that kept asking him week after week after week. So this this prick loves the attention is what that is, because you could have cleared all this shit up a long time ago all this speculation about why isn't he starting the rookie? Why is he starting him now with this very tough schedule that he's going to have all this spec, all of this Fisher could have had that cleared up instantly by saying, guys, I'm under contract. I signed it before the season began. And now all of a sudden it gets out he signed it, and he's like, well, I just didn't want to talk about it. I just didn't feel like it was anyone's business. So that's why I didn't say anything. You prick. He could have avoided all of that shit, but he loves the attention. He's a diva. Jeff Fisher is a fucking coaching diva, and he oh, loves yeah. the attention he was getting. That's all that was about.
1: And he's got pictures.
0: Yeah, apparently. Evidently.
1: Yeah. Uh, no, I, I, I'm with you um, on Atlanta spreading the ball around. You're going to see a lot of Taylor Gabriel and Austin Hooper, and you're definitely yeah. going to see a lot of Kevin Coleman and Taryn Ward and Devontae Freeman. I think you're going to actually see all three of those guys productive um, out of the backfield because all three of them can catch and all you know, so they could, they're going to have to do a lot of this, you know, dink and doink, and then all of a sudden, bam, there's a 50 yarder deep to Gabriel because that guy is blazing fast. Um, so, I, 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 and Atlanta needs after that they got to get that taste the last week out of their mouth. And this is it. Once again, doesn't it always seem like if you've got a team that, that's decent, they always have that get-right game against a team just like this.
0: Yeah, if it wasn't them, it would have been Jacksonville or something like that. I, I'm curious. i got to count up how many games were different real quick because it's a lot. Uh, not counting the yeah, Thursday it is. game.
1: If you could just You could just put me away completely right now, right here.
0: Yeah, that that sounds good to me. Uh not counting Thursday game. It looks like four, five, six, seven, eight, ten. Ten of the fifteen remaining games, we are going against each other. So whew. Or
1: I could or I could get myself right back in this thing.
0: You you could you could do a chunk play. You could pretend like I'm the Oakland Raiders defense and take a, a big chunk play out of me and, and get right back in. It. Yeah, or I mean, we, we could go, them go split them seven, right down the middle,
1: seven, you know, and, and 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 knock you back a few and, and pull you down to my level a little more because, boy, I need it.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it's some good football, some good games on the schedule, and uh, even the shit games. Uh, that there's a lot of there's a lot more medi- mediocre games out there than shit games tomorrow. There's a lot of teams that are around 500 playing against each other and. Uh, not even playoff games, but like games that will completely eliminate you from playoff contention. Even though if you win, you're still not back in playoff contention. You're just still kind of hanging around not, not mathematically eliminated yet. Uh, but that that should make for some hard fought games. At least we won't have too many dog games. The Niners and the Jets will be a dog game, but uh, and the, and the Vikings and Jaguars will be just because neither offense can generate anything. Uh, but outside of that, they're, Shouldn't be too many. Even the Bengals and the Browns won't be a dog game, a because it's the Browns trying to do all they can to get that first win, and B because it's a uh, state rivalry game, so they were going to play hard against each other anyway.
1: Yeah, and, and where what's really been interesting about this year, even though you you know you're way ahead of me, is even like this this week even is perfect. We disagree on all these games. But we totally see the other person's viewpoint.
0: Yeah. If, uh, about
1: our, there, there's not a lot of games this year where we have disagreed where the other person's just like, you're crazy. You know, <laughs> like, no way. Yeah, we, we've had that a lot in years past where some, one of us makes a pick and then the other one's like, come on. You know, I'll laugh at one of your right. picks. Or you'll, oh, your pick's going to win just because that makes no sense. Um, you know, where I just pull one completely out of my rear end. This year, it's been, yeah, I totally see your point. I'm leaning the other way just a little bit more. I'm forty-nine on taking this team, um, which is what's also kind of made it hard taking locks this year because we're so not sure of what the product is that we're seeing on the field, even at this point in the season. It may get, even makes it hard to take locks right now.
0: Oh, I'm three worse than you for this. I don't want to hear any complaining about you about how hard it is to take a lock. Give me a break. Uh, I a... I'm so much worse than you. This it, you you can't complain about. It. I'm the one that should be complaining about how hard it is to take a lock. Especially being Either. 580 whatever for the <laughs> fucking season and still can't get a lock.
1: <laughs> it's been hard to identify even within each week, what the locks are going to be, I think, you know. And all these games that we disagree on, every single one of those, it seemed like when we were disagreeing, one of us or the other is like, yeah, I, 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 I'm worried about this pick or, or I see what you're saying, you know, and this one really scares me because we can actually in our minds see either outcome, and that's what's making this year so tough.
0: Yeah, if I see something that I love and, and like the, the Vikings-Jaguars under, for instance, <laughs> yeah, I will tell you, I'll say this is a slam dunk. Please don't hesitate to, to take this pick. And, and But, yeah, as far as the spread picks this week goes, I, Cleveland's my lock, and I'll admit that's more sentimental maybe than anything. It's not like the 0-12 Browns have really given me reason to lock them up, but I just can't imagine them going 0-16. I think they have – more talent on that team than, uh, than an 0-16 team. And I think this is their best chance to to get it. This is it. This is – they're at home, they're off the buy, and they get a, a Bengals team without A.J. Green and out of the playoff rates. So, I mean, what what more can you ask for? That's pretty much my reasoning for doing that. And that's a game where we don't even disagree because you also have the Browns uh, to get their first win.
1: Yeah. So I, I, I this, is, this was the one that we spotlighted. And I will say, even though RG3 has only played – Half or so of one game this year, maybe not even that long, that I saw enough out of him making some connections in the preseason that I actually have a little bit of hope that if he can stay on the field, they have a chance here.
0: No, well, that's a long time to go back to maybe make those connections, but we'll see. They've they've had the time to practice, you know. They've had the time to get it together now with the bye week. So he's been working his way back. So we'll see if they can take that on the on the field tomorrow.
1: Yeah, the, I mean, the, easily the two best quarterbacks this preseason were Dak Prescott and RG three, easily.
0: Wow. Well, Certainly hope he can pick it up and, and get it back.
1: I mean, and, and that's just one of those stories with RG3 where whether you like him or you don't like him or whatever you think of him, he's one of those guys that's like you almost want to see him succeed because of all the injury, injuries. You know, just for everything he's been through all the way back to that when his knee completely collapsed in Seattle. On that on a non-contact play, and you just watched his leg literally fall apart right before your eyes after he'd had that charm season. And he hasn't been the same guy since, um, you know, especially after Shanahan rushed him back and basically predicted that he was going to be there. And then uh, obviously he played and he wasn't ready to play. And the same thing happened again. So you almost, you almost kind of root for the guy to come back and, and, and be productive because the talent was there his body's just not there. He just does. He just, his body's not letting him play at the level that he can play.
0: Yeah. It's a real shame. It's, it's always a shame when the guy shows the ability early on in his career to, to be something special and the body just doesn't let him, the injuries take over. As you said, the, you know, the Derek Rose syndrome, uh, where it is really terrible when it comes to him. Cause, it, uh, Dan Bernstein has correctly pointed out on the Boars and Bernstein show. Rose is going to wind up being the first NBA most valuable player to not make the hall of fame because there's no chance he's ever going to be that good again. No, no. He was unbelievable when he was 21. And ever since his knee just started exploding every time he took off towards the basket, it's, he's not the same player anymore. He's, he's been pretty good this year, but he's not anywhere near that same player. So that is really a shame when it happens like that.
1: Yeah, that's not an analogy. You want you don't want to be compared to Derek Rose.
0: No, you don't want that at all. On or off the court.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you just don't you don't want to be called the Derek Rose of your sport because that means that you have all the talent in the world and you can't stay on the field.
0: Yes, that is not good. <laughs> you don't want to be the next Derrick Rose. <laughs> oh man. Uh do you have any Else football because uh I would just quickly move on to the uh the, the White Sox continued fire sale. And yeah,
1: it was actually one of the topics I figured that we would get into is that you wanted to talk about the other trade after after we get done breaking down the, the, the Chris Sale trade, the, the White Sox do it again.
0: Yeah, and sometimes it happens where you kind of fleece a team, and all of these trades, when it happens, when you decide to take a major leaguer and and deal him for prospects, sometimes uh, guys kind of panic, and, and, and maybe there's a bidding war. Maybe uh, some a, a team is extremely, extremely desperate to fill the position of the guy that you're selling off. But whatever the case is, the fact that the Washington Nationals took their first-rated, top-rated pitching prospect, Lucas Giolito, and dealt him to the White Sox for Adam Eaton—I'm sorry, that's a fleecing. There's no way, unless your organization blows, and I don't think the Nationals' organization blows. There's no way that your organization's top pitching prospect is worth a 27 year old spaz of a center fielder who keeps throwing himself into the wall. Like he's Aaron Rowan or something. Uh, I understand Adam Eaton's been valuable. I understand his defense is, is is good. It's above average. And I understand that he produces at the plate and gets on base and steals bases. And, and I get it. He's got, and he has got a little pop. You can't be that desperate to fill a center field hole that you would trade Lucas Giolito for Adam Eaton? I can't even imagine the comp. What would that be if, if, uh, if you agree with me that Eaton is sort of the Aaron Rowand of his generation? And I don't know if you know anything or think anything of, of Giolito. I did get to see him when they when the the, the Nationals brought him up uh, this season, and and he he looks like he could be uh, all that in a bag of chips. Uh, so to take a, a top ranked. Pitching prospect from back in the day and trade him for an Aaron Rowan type. Uh, God, I, what I, I don't even know what that comp could possibly be. But to me, this is a fleecing and and good on the White Sox. Good on uh, on, on Rick Hahn and and Kenny Williams, whoever else is in charge of this teardown. This is one of those deals that a a, a good organization, which the White Sox. I don't think they are necessarily but this is what a good organization would do to start rebuilding and getting back in contention in a couple of years. This is exactly the type of trade that would do it along with the the sale trade which wasn't a fleecing but still uh, I still like the the guys that they got back and hope they you know hope that Johan Mankanda is not a bust. But uh that was just unbelievable when I saw that adam eaton for lucas giolito and other prospects it wasn't just him but i i don't i don't i don't i don't understand it on the nationals part but as a white Sox fan bully for them
1: no i i completely agree when i saw that trade come through and then we come to find out through all the uh, you know the chatter after the trade was made with that it was basically the same trade package that the White Sox were looking for, for uh, Jose Quintana, a much better, much more controllable <laughs> piece, uh, even though Eaton is under contract for, for quite a few more years. And, and, and he's one of these war guys. I mean, uh, sabermetrically, um, Adam Eaton passes the test much more than I think he passes the test as far as you go. And just like, that's the missing piece. We're a World Series contender. If we just go and get Adam Eaton, so we're going to give up our no. best prospect. White Sox have now accumulated in the last week the number one and number three prospects in all of baseball. Hot damn! And some of the some of the talk was, you know, that the, the, the Gialito, there's some holes in his game. His, his fastball, even though it's high velocity, is hittable. Um, but he's very young, you know, he's, he's young. And then, you know, now he's got Don Cooper to work with him to try to make some more out of those other pitches. And there's nothing wrong with throwing a hittable, you know, 95, if you keep it down in the zone, I mean, you know, you can throw a fastball straight as an arrow with no movement and, and still be a productive pitcher in this Look, Jared Weaver for a, a very short but a very productive stretch through an extremely straight as an arrow fastball and just because of where he was placing those pitches induced so many meaningless pop-ups that that he basically had himself a nice four or five year stretch before he somewhat falling apart you know overall but You know, you can't expect a guy. You don't make a trade thinking that you're getting the next, you know, like Roger Clemens or Randy Johnson. You just want a guy who can be a number one or a number two or a number three in your rotation and be productive for a few years that you can be respectable. I don't, you know, and that's all it's become because you have this guy who's controllable for a while, and then they're the White Sox. If he's that great, he's going to cash in and he's going to go to the Yankees. He's going to cash in and go somewhere and make a lot of money. Um, but you could easily see that lineup three years down the road with Moncada in it. Um, you know, maybe some of these younger guys they're starting to clear room for, and, you know, maybe put a little bit of something together and then a rotation with Giolito, maybe at the top of it. It's more hope for some, you know, for some actual change in that organization. And, and by, by some of these other guys, who knows, how many times is it where somebody makes a trade and it's the tossing guy, guy who, who's the most impactful guy in the trade? You know, oh, here, mm-hmm. just, we'll, we'll throw in this guy. And then he ends up being the one that, that, that's the piece that really made a, a difference. So we'll see. Uh, you, got, you can't not like what they're doing, and they're still talking about moving other pieces. They still have, if they want to, Quintana that they can trade.
0: Still have Todd father.
1: Yeah. So it's, uh,
0: Still have Melty. You gotta, I'm
1: sure you got to feel a little better as a fan of that team than you felt a month ago.
0: It's an interesting comp, uh, with Jared Weaver because before his velocity left him, that, that is a pretty decent time. His fastball used to be uh, close to the mid nineties there and straight yeah, as an arrow, great. but yep. Yeah. But he kept it down and trusted his defense. So, under any circumstance in the the late nineties, early two thousands, would you acquire Aaron Rowand for your organization's Jared Weaver? Oh God, no, no way. <laughs> okay, I, I, I'm oh, just wondering I, if I'm if I'm overreacting and 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 blowing the uh, the the White Sox up too much in thinking that this was a fleecing. To me, this is a fleecing. I'm sorry.
1: Don't forget, the White Sox might be a 60-win team next year. I mean, this is going to be one of those, if they're committed to it, very painful rebuilds, just like you watched the Cubs go through. But you had you, know, you had me and you had a lot of Cubs fans who had the face in the organization because they had a proven guy who had done the exact same thing. It's like, okay, stick with the plan, you know any of these guys that the White Sox don't offload now are going to get offloaded at the actual trade deadline, possibly next year even more because now you're talking about sending somebody who really could be the last piece to a contender. Uh, so I don't think they and have the bidding warm among
0: teams that might be very yeah. desperate. Yeah.
1: They don't have to be in a rush to completely just gut this roster and lose all their sellable pieces. They could very easily keep Quintana in that rotation, let him build up some tons of trade value, and then you find that team that does need a starting pitcher in, in, you know, in June or in July, and you make one of those deals where somebody's willing to give up a prospect for a potential World Series run, you know, where where it's all on the line for one season. You know, we, we saw the Cubs make the huge trade for Aroldis Chapman and give up, Probably their top remaining prospect was Gleyber Torres. But then you realize it was one of those where it was like, well, this was it. They realized that they were the team to beat. They were the best team in baseball, and they didn't trust the back end. They fixed that part, and then they go on and they win the World Series. And I mean, that makes that makes the that makes Gleyber Torres just as possibly responsible. He should get a ring. Hopefully, he gets a ring. <laughs> Because you know, that could be some of these guys on the White Sox. That that's those guys getting dealt can be just as valuable to a team in the mix or in the hunt for at least that little extra push over the top. So I like what they've done. Just from a straight baseball standpoint, they clearly accumulated lots of talent, which was something that that organization was missing. But they just they don't have to just get this. Feeding frenzy now in this rush of, let, let's just keep doing it, you know? Because there's, there's there is, there is, you know if they're playing the long game, they're not just going to make five big trades and then, oh, we did it. And now let's just sit right. on these guys for the next five years and watch them go. If you watch the way that the Cubs did it, it was real methodical, real slow.
0: And just like the Cubs here, fans... Look- the Sox fans can't worry about if they win 60 games next year. It's not about next year. It's not about the year after. It doesn't matter. Don't worry about
1: it. Yeah. One of the things that the White Sox aren't dealing with, that the Cubs were dealing with because they're the White Sox, they, they don't have this like, half-decade of awful contracts that they have to offload either.
0: Yeah, there's no Alfonso Soriano there.
1: There aren't all of these ugly, bad deals where they're making deals that they have to just basically take on. Here, just take this guy and we'll pay you. Because we do take this guy off our books. So they can really just be in more of a mode where they're almost a year ahead of where the Cubs started from because the Cubs had to start that first whole year. It was all about just, you know, expunging all this bad money. And, and getting their salary under control. And then the moves really started to take hold. So they're, they're, they're a little bit ahead of the game from that standpoint.
0: And the ba- on the bad side, however, they don't have the OFC, so They still can't fix that part of it, but uh, that is the advantage.
1: And you have to trust in Kenny and Han. Yeah. And I
0: know that's well, not easy. If, if, that's all, if those are the guys, that's, there's nothing else you can do about it. What I would say about Quintana, by the way, is I actually think I'd want to deal him now because I, ju- I guess uh, just on feel, I just feel like he's been so consistent in his major league career. He hasn't had the the hiccup. He hasn't had the month where he just uh, pitches like shit. And the win total doesn't reflect it, but he's been so good, so consistent. I I wouldn't want to take the chance of him getting hurt. I wouldn't want to take the chance of him getting bad, or having that bad month right at the trade deadline when we need him to be his best. And I have no idea, to the good or to the bad, how he would react to pitching in a season with – Uh, trade rumors swirling around him like that because he hasn't had to worry about that ever since he got to the major leagues. And now that everybody knows that he's on the market and and everyone knows his team is trying to sell off as many parts as possible. There's no telling if that affects his performance or not. I'm not saying it will. I have no idea, but I I wouldn't want to take that chance. That's just how I feel about it. You
1: just want to get something for him now before the, the decline happens.
0: Yeah, I want to get. He, he may not be more valuable than he is right now, and I'd want to work on getting something for that right now. But.
1: Hey, if they, if they can, if they can pull off a deal like they just did, or or the two deals that they just did, yeah, absolutely, you get rid of them. There's there's always a team out there that needs some pitching. Everybody needs pitching.
0: Yeah, so it's so far so good for the for the White Sox teardown. So hopefully they can have very similar success to what the Cubs did. Uh, so do you have anything else?
1: Well, not not so similar. Yeah, you don't have to go too far.
0: Yeah, I don't need the hundred wins. I'll I'll take the ring. I don't need the hundred wins.
1: Yeah, hey, I have no problem if the White Sox go to the World Series, as long as the Cubs beat them.
0: <laughs> of course.
1: But that would be like ten years from
0: now. It's it's going to be a while. That's that, that's for sure. Well, I mean, if Giolito gets it together, like you said, with the uh, with Don Cooper, and rises up and becomes like the number two to to Carlos uh, Rodon or something like that. I, that's complete best case scenario, of course. But stranger things and, have and happened, again, I guess.
1: Carlos Rodon, I know he's young has not impressed me his his measurables are not very good so far
0: yeah but i see the 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 base of a of a guy that can become better he's very inconsistent but i see the the glimmer i see what i see the special arm i see why the the hype was there around him so doesn't mean he's going to ever develop into that ace but you know again base, best case scenario that, that he would be the man
1: He strikes a lot of guys out, and he walks too many guys. It's it's your typical – you see a lot of this out of young guys. And don't be stunned if, you know, six or seven years from now, Carlos Rodon is closing games instead of starting them.
0: Yeah, that's entirely possible. We've seen so many guys like that that start out as a starter, and they say, okay, we we, we see the arm talent, but you – clearly don't have what it takes to go four or five six innings effectively let's just pare it down to one or two and see what we get out of you from there
1: and you know it's good because we got we had so much we were so cubs centric this year you know we're going the other way a little bit now so that's good we, we get, we're we getting and for at least for a positive reason because we really had nothing good to, i mean we just didn't talk about the white sox this year much because if you can't say anything nice you don't say anything at all sometimes and with what was going on with the Cubs and that magical run that they were on hey, now we're not talking about them as much right now. They, they they're set you know they they don't have to do a lot i mean although they did trade uh for Wade Davis I don't know if you saw that
0: yeah yeah got their, they got uh, their closer to replace Sorolis. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so they get their closer. on. He's, he's for basically Jorge Soler, who was completely – he was blocked. He, he wasn't going to get much playing time anyway. There's too much talent up and coming. They knew that he was the guy that would be the odd man out, um, especially after the way Baez played in the second half where they talked about that maybe Baez was that tradable piece. And then Baez basically plays himself into – Cementing that job. Yeah, we're and like, okay, we can't it.
0: let this kid go. He's too special,
1: right? You know, and and plays absolutely terrible. Swings at everything in the playoffs, but then just decides in Game Seven of the World Series that he's going to start trying to take the ball the opposite way again, and he goes oppo for a homer.
0: It's a and hell of a time game, to do it.
1: Game. Yeah, if you're going to do it, if you're going to figure something out, figure it out in Game Seven of the World Series. So it's funny because people are like, oh, they didn't they didn't sign Chapman, and you see Chapman goes to the Yankees and gets this eighty six million dollar contract for five years, but then you basically have the Cubs who trade for Wade Davis and then sign Koji Uhara and did it for a quarter or less of the price of what it would have cost that team to sign Aroldis Chapman. Now now there was these st- are one year, but this is all you got to do. You don't have to throw $100 million or $70 million at a closer, by the way. Worst thing that you can do is start throwing that kind of money at a closer. I don't care who it is. I don't care if it's a roll as Chapman. There are not good five-year deals that you can give a closer. There just aren't. There was never
0: any chance they were going to bring him back uh, after trading for him because they knew that he was going to be on the market. This was clearly a deadline deal for a hired gun, and the the hired gun did what it was supposed to do. They were were never bringing him back.
1: Right. And it's almost exactly the way the trading for Wade Davis and signing in Kojiwara feels like. They're just not doing it at the deadline, they're bringing these guys in they're going to soak up one good year out of these guys for another run at a World Series title. And if they do it again, those guys might be gone too. I have nothing wrong with what they did because one of the things that they have to start thinking about is not getting crazy with money because if they want to stay intact, once Rizzo and Bryant and Russell and all of these guys start to want money, and they're not under team control. They're going to go through their arbitration years, and then they're all of a sudden going to be free agents, and then the, the bank is going to bust open. You can't do it if you're paying your closer, who might not even be your closer anymore, 20 mil a year.
0: Now, that they're not going to expend uh, resources in that. They, they, that's not their plan at all. Uh, they're not even going to expend those resources on, like, stud starting pitchers. Uh, you're not going to have a Randy Johnson, uh, Roger Clemens, Kurt Schilling type rotation because of the money that that would take to tie him up. They're just not going to put that kind of money in to the pitching. They're going to put it into that in- incredible starting lineup and, and offense and defense, just top notch and just keep filling in with pieces in the rotation and in the bullpen, just m- wave the magic wand on guys who are good, but, you know, maybe not great, and coming up on free agency, and and decide, okay, uh, I guess I'll go to the Cubs. They're gonna give me the money uh, for a year or two, and and just oh, just a, a string of hired guns, and that's that's all they have to do.
1: Yeah, and then you know, the other was that. all the, all the Cubs lost Dexter Fowler, and I'm thinking, you know what, I'm not that worried. I, I could easily see that lineup shaking up next year with Zobris leading off and Hayward batting second, if he can get right again, which I think he will, he'll probably be comeback player of the year next year. If he even goes back to what his normal was, if he even just goes back to hitting 265 or 270, in that, you know, if he so they can go Zobris, Hayward, and then all of a sudden there's that lineup following in Rizzo, Bryant, Schwarber, Russell, Baez, Elmore, it's just, yeah, who picked your poison for the rest of that entire lineup, um, and then Contreras, who will be their full-time catcher next year, so, yeah, there it is, there's that lineup, okay, we lost, we lost Dexter Fowler, and we're just going to slot somebody else in and not even make the beat, so, people panic about this shit, I don't get it, but, ah, I didn't even panic when Schwarber blew his knee out. We were live on yeah, the air no. when that happened, and I was like, "Fine," <laughs> and, which is which is funny because we're driving. I'm driving down to Chicago that like the next day or the day after that for our baseball draft, and I'm listening to the sports talk driving in, and it is nothing but gloom and doom. The Cubs are done. Schwarber was like, the, like like he was the foundation of the whole team, and you know. Granted, he helped them in the end. He helped them win the World Series. I mean, he came up big in the biggest stage possible coming back like that. But they weren't done. They won 103 games without the guy. They were fine.
0: Like, I know how hard it is for you to remember, but remember, that was before the Cubs were world champions. So, of course, that That's, seems like a, something to make you panic and go, oh, no, gloom and doom, it's all over. It's of course, it felt he like into
1: it. He ran into the goat.
0: that's right. He, was, <laughs> he, he slipped on the on the goat, leaving some some presents out there in the outfield, and then he uh, ran into Bartman, and and all of that, and the, the black cat ran across him as he was laying on the ground. All of that, all of that crap, is out the window and now. But was.
1: before, and then he, slipped through, and then he slipped on Durham's legs. <laughs>
0: He slid through, but before the Cubs won the title, all of that was in play, and and that's what it all felt like to to, the typical Cub fan. Maybe not you, but the typical Cub fan. So I know it's hard to remember way back in the days before the Cubs were world champions.
1: It's not that hard to remember the days before, (laughs) because that was my entire life before you know the first week of November of this year. You know, I still see they still have the commercials on for like, oh, the Cubs are the World Series champions. Buy your Cubs gear, and I still have to watch the commercial just to affirm the fact that we won. It was like, oh, oh uh, that, okay. that happened. Hey, yes, it still happened. I was, oh, I, I see
0: Brian making that throw. Did it? Did it get there? Did Did Rizzo catch that? Oh, he did. Oh, the out was recorded. Oh, I, I wasn't sure for a second.
1: There's that part of me that thinks I'm actually laying in a coma somewhere. My by my brain is slowly dying, <laughs> and that I'm living in a fantasy right now.
0: Um, it, it, believe me, it feels that way to other baseball observers too. When I hear World Champion Chicago Cubs, I still kind of like, what? Huh? What? what? Uh, yeah. Uh, it, it but for you, it's probably still more feels like it's it's just bizarre. It just in, in the in the year twenty sixteen, as bizarre as the year has been, that's that is that ranks right up there and, and it fits perfectly in, in 2016 of just bizarre. It just doesn't
1: <laughs> but we'll all remember 2016. We'll all remember it. Oh,
0: you can't forget it. Uh, no, I I did hear about the way Davis trade for Jorge Soler because it made me briefly reflect on seeing uh Soler come through as an Iowa cub playing down here against the Redbirds and i remember how i sort of grouped him in my mind he and if you remember the great junior lake uh in my mind those are those are almost like the same guys both of them tried to hit every ball 7000 feet and had no plan b they went up there swinging as hard as they could and if that didn't if the, if the guy threw a breaking ball in the first pitch and they swung and missed they were out to sea. They had no plan B. They had no other action to take up there. They were just at the complete mercy of the pitcher, whoever it was. So they had success, and they hit the ball hard against certain pitchers who weren't didn't have a lot of command, or or you know didn't weren't, weren't able to spot their balls uh, where they wanted to spot them, uh, or didn't have the the kind of breaking ball that would fool uh, the hitter enough. So they had. They got their licks against those guys, but any pitcher that had a decent off-speed pitch or a decent breaking ball or could locate the fastball in a place where it couldn't be just killed. Uh, that's the first pitch they threw to junior Lake and to Jorge Soler. And if uh, they swung and missed at that pitch or fouled it off their foot or something like that, they were gone. You, you had them in the, in the palm of your hand, the rest of the at-bat. So no surprise at all the, that they got rid of him for a piece. Cause I don't think he was solving that problem uh, anytime soon.
1: Yeah. I was talking to, we were talking about that trade today at work a little bit. Um, I was talking about that with one of my coworkers and I made the analogy that Jorge Soler was the uh, Pedro Serrano of baseball. <laughs> if, you, if you get your, if you get your major league reference there, um, you couldn't hit the curveball. ball, you could hit with the fastball, you know, and, uh, that that he was that that was him. That Pedro. That was he's Pedro Serrano. He could hit the he could hit that straight fastball right in the wheelhouse. But if you have anything breaking. Forget it. He's swinging out of his shoes.
0: The the owner died from Major League Baseball. The the hot woman uh, owner yeah. uh, recently died. I was so sad to see that.
1: Yeah, I, I did see that. It was just a few days ago. The
0: part of 2016.
1: Hopefully, that's a movie you've seen.
0: Oh, I love Major League. Absolutely. That's that one I've seen.
1: We talk about movies on this show once in a while, and you'll you'll be like, oh, yeah, I haven't seen that one. Okay, okay, so good. At least you've seen Major League. So you got that one.
0: I got that one. You know what? I just watched it the first time this past summer. (laughs) I watched Bull Durham for the first time this past summer. So, yeah, I never got around to watching. I know. I've seen many. Movies that aren't classics, and i in a lot of classics, I've never got around to see. I finally sat down and watched Bull Durham this year. Very good movie. The,
1: the, uh, the, lollygaggers, the
0: lollygaggers, yeah, lollygag, damn it,
1: yeah, the, the
0: lollygag. <laughs> yeah, what are they
1: take them, Lollygaggers, lollygaggers, yeah. You know. um, <laughs> no, the, the the scene in that movie that I always think of that was way ahead of its time is the scene where you have you cliche know,
0: scene, Robin.
1: On the bus, and Kevin Costner's teaching him on what to say to the media.
0: Yep, yep the cliche scene. Probably
1: one of one of the most honest, <laughs> a little too mm-hmm. honest scenes you'll ever see in a sports <laughs> movie. Right, or just because you watch any sports interview, and it's that scene from the bus. All the things that he told him to say. It's every sports interview, which is what makes it so refreshing when you get Richard Sherman. Or what are these guys, you know, actually telling you what they're thinking, and then the media just, like, decries these guys, like, oh, my God, what's this guy doing? Oh, he's a loose cannon. No, they'd rather have the guy who just stands up there. We just
0: just want to to take it one day at a time.
1: Uh, Take it one game at a time. Not the best scene in the movie, but the most truthful scene in the movie. Great movie.
0: Yeah, I, I concur. (laughs) <laughs> okay, good. and as you
1: enjoyed it,
0: that's- I did, and and that's why I hate it uh, so much. When media members get mad when athletes don't speak to them, why they don't say anything? What the fuck, man? It- <laughs> They're
1: not saying anything, <laughs> exactly. Why
0: are you mad <laughs> that Cam Newton didn't sit there after the wow. Super Bowl and spout cliches at you? What that's all he would have done. Why is that important to no, you? Uh, How pathetic no, are you no, that that's important?
1: Not- it was just such an honor to be in the Super Bowl. Oh. I left it all on the field, blah, blah, blah. You know, It's all the same shit. Yeah. Stop. No, he sat up there and looked like a guy who just lost the Super Bowl and felt like crap about it. I'd be moping like shit.
0: Many, many of his teammates uh, were more mature and did stand up there and give you the cliches. Good for them but I'm not going to get mad at him for not doing that. It's not like he uh, did something bad by not standing there and giving you stupid cliches. That uh, You could argue that he did something good by being honest and saying, I don't feel like dealing with this and getting up and walking away. But I, right, I've never like, had any patience who's the other,
1: I, there 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 is one person in the NFL who knows that the media is a joke and treats the media like a joke and the media hates them, and that's Bill Belichick. It's Belichick. He knows it's a joke. He trolls the media. He literally trolls these guys with his just deadpan, boring. I watched the, the football life thing that they had on about Bill Belichick, and it was, it was a pretty long one. It was like a two-hour one where they're following him around during the season and stuff. And, and you actually, when you see all this stuff, you realize when he's coaching his team and he's doing all this stuff, he's not like that. Then he gets in front of the media and just treats them like garbage because it's because uh, he knows it's a game. He knows it's a joke, and I actually found that very interesting to watch that. So that, that's one of those things that you can usually spin up on demand. If you haven't seen it, it's actually it's pretty interesting because if you think of just think of Bill Belichick as this, this boring, drab, what you get in the press conferences, and then you actually see something a little bit more candid, you're like, oh, okay. Well, now you know why his players like him. And, you know, he's, he's not like that to his players and his coaches. He's like that to the media.
0: Yeah, I've always heard that, that he's actually interesting and introspective when you're talking about something about which he's passionate, but when the media gets up there, tell us how you feel about that. Uh, we're on to Cincinnati. We're on to Cincinnati. <laughs> or
1: or my, favorite, my favorite is as soon as you get the guy after the game, and it's the biggest thing that's ever happened, on that play. What were you <laughs> thinking? <laughs> a lot of these guys aren't thinking. Right. You know, what was Michael Jordan thinking when he hit that shot over over Byron Russell after he pushed him out of the way? What was he thinking? He wasn't thinking. He was doing something that came natural to him, trying to win a basketball game and win a title. He's not thinking about, oh, I I I put the proper spin vector on the ball. No question you can hear in sports is the what were you thinking?
0: He was at work. What are you thinking when you're at work? Answer that.
1: Yeah, I wish I wasn't at work.
0: Pretty much, but these guys are at work. But we got to try to get in their mind and figure out what they were thinking. They weren't thinking anything. They're at work. They're They're doing their job.
1: Sold something at work, and like, hey, that was a great sale. <laughs> what was going through right at that moment? And,
0: and when, if they did, they did that, deal, you would spit like out me. an empty you would spit out an well, empty platitude just to get them out of your face. I was thinking about my family. Well, I was first, so proud. I was thinking about supporting my children. And first, you weren't thinking first, of any of that shit. First
1: but you're going to say that because it sounds good. I just want to thank the good Lord Jesus Christ <laughs> for giving me the ability to, to complete that transaction with that customer and I, it, it's really not about me it's about the company and the teammates it, it, oh my god you know come on just
0: take it one sale you know, at a time
1: it's I'm just taking it one sale at a time you know I, I gotta act like I've done it before so I was just I knew if I just stuck to the fundamentals and did my job right that in the end it would all come through it, you can apply that uh, once in life and just say nothing. You're saying everything, but you're saying absolutely nothing. You're talking, but there's no words.
0: All right. I'm going to shoot myself in the head after after all that. That's why
1: so. so many of these uh, love... guys and...
0: it, It's just it it makes your brains ooze out of your head. It's just so dumb. So
1: I know, yeah. and we all watch it And we do get something like Richard Sermon Yelling into Aaron Andrews' microphone And you know, <laughs> and, we, and, we, and we get that, which is compelling Everybody's like, oh, he's a loose cannon Oh, he's the angry black man it's like, Come on, that was more real than anything else we get And I loved it
0: Scared the hell out of the Little Blonde, girl. What, what's wrong with him? No, I, I mean, he <laughs> some.
1: Dropped he dropped the N-word about Michael Crabtree. It's why I never can actually repeat what he said about his favorite <laughs> player, Michael Crabtree. But it was amazing. I want every <laughs> interview to be like that. So uh, yeah. we managed to still fill a full show. How about that?
0: i never thought we'd have a, a 50 minute after show i was thinking we we're going to cut that short after 15 but there, there you have it
1: kings uh, of non sequitur what are we talking about
0: what were we talking about
1: um yeah we were talking about baseball and let me talk about Paul durham because i made a reference to pedro serrano see how this happened We need like a <laughs> oh okay that's Let's how go. we got there all right how we, and, about interviews because of that scene in Bull Durham. Then we started talking about Bill Belichick and... <laughs> Jeez. My brain I hurts. say, fuck you, Joe.
0: I do it myself.
1: This is, this is why... I a right. <laughs> <laughs> I do it myself. I mean, uh, this is why when the season's over, this is why we take like three weeks of not doing any shows. <laughs>
0: yeah. This is kind of dry out.
1: Oh, and on a positive Ugh. note, I did realize today that I now have ESPN and NFL Network again, so I actually can win something this year Oh, for the contest. Because I won last year and still lost. I had to watch ESPN for the draft. So. Yes. Even though I beat uh. you in the NC NCAA- plate tournament pick them I still had to watch ESPN for the draft so hopefully I can win this and not have to do that
0: yeah for any new listeners uh, the couple of things that we actually play for or little contests that we have here for the picks whoever winds up going through this stupid point system that I made up for the playoffs and and wins the the handicapping title between us for the season, we decided that award is that the winner gets to choose the the theme music that we're using uh, at the beginning of the show, the, the legal music that, that we go through hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of terrible songs to try to find one good one. So that music that we've been using the last couple of years is the song that I've chosen because I've won the the contest for the last couple of years, uh, so the the good news for those of you who are a little sick of that song, and I love the song. I, I want to give props out to Jazar for providing us with Breaking Bad. I don't talk about him and give him his credit, but uh, the credits are in the uh, in the podcast description for that song every week. Um, but the good news for those of you a little sick of it is it, even if I win the season once again this year, I will choose a, a new song for uh, for the start of next season just to keep things a little fresh, just go with uh, something a little different. We've had the, the nice hard rock coming in for the last couple of years, so we'll we'll switch to something else uh, even if I win for next year. And then for Dave, and March...
1: If you lose, it'll change too, so don't worry.
0: <laughs> I know. <laughs> And then for March Badness, uh, we uh, do dry out a little bit, come back uh, after the season's over with our, uh, with our Oscars show with uh, Dave, the movie expert, and then we move on to March Badness, which is our picks for breaking down the uh, college basketball tournament, the men's college basketball tournament, and we decided that the winner of that pool gets to choose which network to watch and cover the NFL draft. When we have our draft show that is we're coming up on all of this now with only four weeks left in the regular season uh, for when we have our draft aftermath, we go live during uh, the the last hour of the first night of, of the draft uh, or the second night, whichever night we happen to be uh, available to talk about the draft. And because the ESPN coverage of the draft is so nauseating and so mind blowingly bad with Chris Berman and, and whoever else is up there on his panel, the loser of the March badness pool has to watch the ESPN coverage of the, uh, the NFL draft and the winner gets to watch the NFL network coverage, which is better, not incredibly better, but a little better. It is better than the ESPN version. And as Jason said, uh, despite, ha- uh, having the better bracket for March badness this past season, uh, few months ago nine months ago uh he still had to watch espn because he didn't have nfl network so i got off the hook that time and i got to watch uh, the nfl network coverage even though i lost so uh so you're saying that will no longer be a uh, a perk that that i will be able to that i would be get right. to watch nfl network no matter what
1: i have rectified that situation um damn it also I'll be interested to see if FS1 is in the mix this year.
0: Oh, I, I hadn't even I checked.
1: Interest, if they're doing, oh, I don't know because they're still new, but if they're going more wall-to-wall with draft coverage, neither Good one of us Lord. to watch either.
0: But I'm thinking about an FS1 draft coverage, and what would that look like? That might be way worse than ESPN, oh. considering who's on oh, their yeah. roster.
1: You, you did. Bayless and Colin Cowherd and Jason Whitlock
0: and Shannon Sharp.
1: And sh- you talk Shannon about and it, would, and it would all be hosted by by Carissa Thompson. Would would be the one thing that the debate. I'd be watching with the mute on. That's all I'll tell you.
0: You talk about the four guys out there in in sports media that I might want to listen to less than Chris Berman. That might be the four right there.
1: course <laughs> oh, so. So instead of picking which channel we watch, can we pick which one the other has to watch? I'm oh no. You on... <laughs> oh, God. You... It'll be interesting. To Why? See, though, if there is work in the mix this year for that.
0: if I was the best man world... at your wedding. Why would you want me to commit suicide on the air like that? Why would you want me to do that?
1: What? I might just have the morbid curiosity to watch that, just to watch something new, so I don't have to watch Mike Mayock look like he needs a nap.
0: <laughs> just to see how terrible the FS1 coverage. I don't know if they're doing a, a draft coverage show, but yeah, we'll uh, we'll investigate that further and then figure out a ruling later on. But oh, that is frightening just to think about that. Ugh.
1: <laughs> Your favorite station. <laughs> oh. oh my
0: god. All, All right. right. So, hey, unless we, you have anything we, else,
1: no, we made it.
0: <laughs> uh So Tuesday night at uh, nine PM yeah. for our recap.
1: I'm actually in the middle of a of a three day. I've got three days off in a row actually, so I'm in a pretty good mindset right now. I've got like a little mini vacation here.
0: Wow. Well, that's that's Tuesday good to works hear. Great. All right. Uh, Tuesday night, 9 p.m. Central, 10 p.m. Eastern. We'll be back to recap what's going to be a uh, gangbusters week 14 in the NFL because of the fact that we're different on 10 games between tomorrow and, and Monday night. So uh, something's going down uh, one way or another, unless we just split them right down the middle, which is certainly possible in, in our case. And like you said, it's not like we're just straightened in the games that we're uh, against each other. We're pretty flexible on them which just happen to be on different sides of it but if it happens to work out one way or another the other will be claiming geniuses no matter what even though they may have been on the other side very easily (laughs) so that's the the fun part about it all is you get the, the bragging rights no matter how great you felt about the pick beforehand no matter what that's right All right, he's Jay. I'm Dre. This is in much less detail, the podcast. Thank you, crazy people, for listening. Once again, congrats to my cousin, Thomas. And get ready for some football tomorrow, week 14 in the NFL. And we will talk to you to recap that action Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Central. Talk to you then.